Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week we have... Laura Durham. Fun interview. Yeah. I've known Laura for years. Um, She was traditionally published. And so I knew her kind of back in that traditional publishing world. And now she's indie and writing cozies. And she's branched into a new um, pen name. She talks about that and the differences in writing the two books and how... um, how the because they're different genres, right? Completely different genres, yeah. and how the how they, it's influenced the writing of each type of series. How they other, I guess, is what you'd say. So, yeah. And she talks. We ask her about getting her rights back because she got her yes. rights back, and how she did that. So yes. lots. And of, let me tell you, the woman was persistent. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Yeah. I think that's yeah, I the key too. from what we've yeah. heard from a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Okay. What's been going on with you? Um, yeah. Okay, so I feel like I'm drowning in admin. Yeah. All those things that I put off yeah, while until you were I got the book, book done. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of how I work well is I focus and I get stuff, I get whatever I'm focused on done. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like all this is just, you know. Coming back. I have this huge list and I'll, I'll describe it. I usually do a to-do list, like a list. And I had too many, I have all these different projects mm-hmm. that I'm working on. So I went and got this and I have like all these like... <laughs> I have this huge sheet of paper and I was like, okay, I'm just going to put down all my tasks and I'm going to list each thing. And so I have all, it's like a mind map to do list. And so as long as I can mark something off each stack each day, I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Everybody works. I'm working on that, but I did, I feel like this should be, this could be the, um, the podcast update because I did get to do some driving. And so I'm caught up on like, so many of my podcasts. I'm so happy. Yeah. So um, I listened to one from Kobo about uh-huh. audio. Yes. And I'll link to that in the show notes about like if you want to have an audio production company, do right. your audio. Uh-huh. And they talk about if you want to narrate it yourself. Uh-huh. And um, the Ingram Spark podcast I listened to this week. Uh-huh. It's all about getting into getting into print, getting into bookstores and libraries. So if you have questions, I'll link to that. And it explains like they talk about the discounts and returnability, all the questions people have. So, and it's not very long. It's only about 30 minutes, I think. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, I'm writing, um, but we're uh, in the middle of a family thing and that my daughter's pregnant and due pretty soon, but she's kind of having some preterm labor stuff that so I've had to come up here to help her and not have to, I want to. And, and I do want to say that this is one of the benefits of doing this job. You know, I can do this job anywhere. So if I come up here to help her and I don't get anything done, that's my fault because her other kids are sleeping. I mean, in the evenings, her husband's home, so I can go, um, right. So if I don't, it's on me, but, um, that is one of the benefits of being able to do this, you know, yeah, um, the flexibility. do this job. Yeah. The flexibility and stuff, but I've also been reading. Yeah. So I don't know, a few weeks ago, probably a month ago, I put, I was really wanting something paranormal, you know, and 
uh, paranormal romance or urban fantasy series or something like that. Um, and so I just kind of put a call out and people gave me suggestions. And I will tell you that there were a lot, like I started and stopped four books because mm. I just, you know, they just didn't do it for me or right. it hadn't been edited, you know, whatever. And, and, but on the plus side of that, there are people that still love those books. So, right. you know, Everybody they just has its own audience. Yeah. yeah. But one of the ones was uh, from blood to ash. Uh, from blood to ash, I think. Let me look because I want to get it right. Okay. Um, and by Jennifer L. Armentrout, and yes, from blood to a- from blood and ash, and okay. then the second one is Kingdom of Flesh and Fire, mm-hmm. and I have just lost myself in these books. Oh, they, that's great. They have been so good, but they're a little bit, they are paranormal, but they're also fantasy. They're a little bit fantasy too, but just really good. And I really wasn't sure when I started because the heroine is like 18 mm-hmm. and I tend to like my heroines a little bit older, mm-hmm. but it's not maybe because it is, you know, fantasy and paranormal and not set in normal times. They're, she's not, particularly immature you know th- there are a few mm-hmm. things but it's just really interesting it's a cool world i mm-hmm. mean it's a dark world but it's still really i mean, i've just really enjoyed it so that's my that's going to be my paranormal fantasy recommendation if anybody um gets chance to read something like that so that's you know great. of course when i'm reading and i'm actually reading i'm not listening to it so when i'm reading a book i've really get into it so mm-hmm. that's been hard sometimes to break away from that to go write my romantic comedy but um yeah so that's what i'm Two doing different just, worlds yeah yeah i mean just real life stuff i mean this yeah. is just real life stuff it would be yeah. great if we could ride in a vacuum well it wouldn't be great for me but for a lot of people <laughs> you would not would like be, that no i would not but it would be great if we could just work in a vacuum no distractions no nothing right. but the fact is life is real and right now with covid and everything it's it seems more real and you know we're all just kind of together and um yeah so we just have to come up with different ways to get stuff done so yeah i also read a book this week it's the enola holmes book because you know that netflix series is coming out or movie i guess netflix movie coming out and i i'm such a the 23rd of september okay so you're not waiting for it anything are you (laughs) no it's not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm probably not going to read the books until the movie comes out, but I might, I might. Cause I really, it yeah. just seems so cool. Yeah, it does look cool. And so I hadn't read the books. They're actually like, I guess they'd be like young adult books yeah, or I think young so. reader, uh-huh. but um, the main character is 14 in the books, I think. But mm-hmm. see, I'm a completist. So I like yeah. to read the book and then yeah. watch the movie. Yeah. So I got the first book and it is so good and it's really uh, short. And, yeah. you know, I, and I was looking at it going, wow, this is so tiny, but it's, it shows you what you can do in such a short amount of, you know, time. And yeah. it's a really good yeah. story. So now I'm looking forward to it even more. And it's oh, really okay. well written. It's got all this, like, it's got all this Sherlock Holmes stuff. So if you like that, that's in there. Uh-huh. But then it's got all this stuff about, like, it really explores, like, her mom and the Sherlock uh-huh. and Mycroft are her older brothers. And uh, got yeah, a bunch of yeah. stuff about, like, women's dress and how that influenced how they lived and what they did. And it's just really, really good. So. Right. I'll probably have to listen to it. 
maybe just get them to listen to. But I will say, I am looking forward to the Netflix series. I mean, yeah, Henry looks, Cavell, please. Looks pretty good. It's Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm very excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> I'm all a flutter. All right. Well, we better get to the interview. Yes, we should. Yeah. We should. We hope you guys are doing well. Yes. Stay safe. Yes. And so here's Laura. Today, we're really excited to have Laura Durham with us. Laura Durham has been writing for as long as she can remember and has been plotting murders since she began planning weddings. The idea behind the Annabelle Archer Wedding Planner Mysteries in the first book in the series, Better Off Wed, was born from the overwhelming desire to murder a particularly unpleasant mother of the bride. Once Laura realized that killing her would be bad for business, she decided to do away with her on paper. So we're really glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad and that we're not here. doing this uh, interview from prison. So right. <laughs> the women's penitentiary. Right. So that's really good. Uh, so, Laura, tell us what genres you write in and how did you get into writing? Sure. I write in cozy mystery and sci-fi romance, mm. um, which are pretty different genres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into writing probably like a lot of authors. Like I've always been writing. Mm-hmm. And um, took a lot of creative writing in college. Then got a real world job to, you know, pay the bills Mm -hmm. and it was wedding planning. So I started a wedding planning business, but I did have this one mother of the bride that just drove me to distraction. She was really a challenge and I I did have to kind of release some energy. And so I wrote this scene where she died a horrible death and it felt so good. (laughs) I could do more of this. So I did, I took a class on how to write a mystery, learn to structure it and that's how Better Off Wood came to be. And actually, the three first books in that series were published by Avon Books. Oh, okay. So I did a trad deal. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was published traditionally for the first three and then brought them out indie almost a decade later. Oh, yeah. wow. So when were they first published? 2005. Okay. So 2005, 2006, 2007. You know, the one a year type mm-hmm. of yeah. traditional yeah. deal. Yeah. And then were you writing between 2007 and now? Or whenever you put those out? I was, but I, so what happened was I got the three book deal. The first book won the Agatha for best first novel, which was great. And then a few months later, the, um, they slashed their mid list. Mm. Avon cut almost all their mysteries. So I I basically finished the third book, but I didn't, you know, didn't have any more books out there. Didn't have a deal. So I built myself a shed in the backyard, stomped out there (laughs) and just wrote for myself for, Mm. um, for a while. And I had a six month old and a two year old at the time. So it was really a kind of a good break, but I didn't get back into really writing for the series until about 2016. Okay. Okay. And that was when I decided to try to get my rights back and really bring out more in the series because I'd unfortunately ended the third book on a cliffhanger. (laughs) I didn't know know it was the third book. I didn't know it was the last one. So it ended kind of with this. And so I got emails from writers over the years asking when the next one would be out. And I felt really bad. So my intention was really just to put out a book just to satisfy the readers who want to know what, what happened next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Well, so would you say that the trad deal was your first big success? It was. It was definitely a big success. Um, and winning the Agatha was a big, big deal at the time. Um, and it has been really, really helpful moving into indie to have that. Um, it's but still it a big deal, those, yeah. It is. It was a big deal, and it was great. And but it is one of those like the trad was a bit of a kind of a double edged sword. 
it was great because I got out, but it was very, you know, I didn't have control. Mm -hmm. You know, they can cut you whenever. I didn't make a lot of money, even though I earned out my advance and did all the, you know, the right things. But um, but it's just hard to make money writing cozies for a travel mm-hmm. publisher. Yeah. Yes. Very hard. Very difficult. Very so yeah, difficult. I do remember that phase. It was like cozies became really popular, and publishers put out a ton of them. And then all of a sudden, it was like this axe fell, and just so many people lost their publishing house contracts, and so so many people were just kind of adrift. And that was back before indie publishing was really a thing. Right. So it was a difficult time. Yeah. There were a lot that went to smaller houses. Mm -hmm. But at the time I really was just, um, you know, I did have a wedding planning business and that was a full-time business. And -hmm. then I had two small children. So the thought of trying to kind of finagle another deal, I just, I decided to take a break and it ended up being great because if I had done another deal with a small publisher, I wouldn't have had the freedom really to go indie. And that right. has been amazing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had um, sort of a chance to go uh, to a small publisher. It was sort of, I had won a contest and they wanted the book. The problem was I just wasn't completely done with the book. And then by the time I was, I realized anything they could do, I could do myself and make more money doing it. Right. So, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad you didn't do that. I'm glad you... <laughs> Waited. Um, so tell us what you wish you'd known about writing and craft. I think one of the big things is that every writer writes differently. And when I did the Clifton Strengths with Becca Syme, who you've had on the show, yeah, amazing. I learned that I um, I need to percolate ideas. So I can't write every day. So for me, I need to have a week or two to think about a book or even more plot it out. And then once I write, I can go like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. But I don't write every day. I do when I'm working on a book. Mm-hmm. And I do about four to 5,000 words a day, mm-hmm. but I then stop and I take a couple of weeks off and I get my kind of well refilled and really think about the book and plot it out. Mm-hmm. And I think the kind of myth that every writer writes every day can really hold people back because they think they need to do certain things. Right. So I think that was important to me. And then I just, I took a lot of classes. I took one of Dean Wesley Smith's depth in writing classes, which was great. So I think just always learning and trying to better yourself with the craft of writing is important. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people focus so much on the marketing, like they want to put the cart before the horse. And you really have to make sure you have a good product and you're writing a good book before you try, before you spend a lot of money to market it. So we may have already covered this a little bit, but what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Well, definitely I think one thing we touched about was the... Um, that getting a trad deal would be the like pinnacle. <laughs> It'd be the answer to all of my, you know, my wishes and dreams. And it was great. And I remember when I did get the deal, I told my agent, I was like, whew, the hard part's done. And he laughed. <laughs> he relaxed now. <laughs> he did. He said, oh, sweetie, the hard part is just beginning. And I just had no idea that, you know, and also the traditional publishers don't do a lot of the marketing for you. Mm-hmm. Even though they have a marketing department, you really you know, especially if you're one of the middleest writers, you have to do it yourself. So, so I all of a sudden had to learn how to do all the things for myself. And so kind of assuming that when you get a traditional deal that it's going to be easier for you, mm-hmm. I think is also wrong. Like they may do the cover, they may do the edit. You may have a lot of things that you don't want to do, but when you're indie, you have so much control and you right. really get that, 
70%. And that and it's just <laughs> such a huge difference. Um, and even, you know, the, the covers. I remember when they showed me the covers from my traditional books, I thought I had input. <laughs> and, <laughs> Little I, did I you know. Input. Yeah, and they were like, oh, this is actually just for you to see. I was like, oh, yes. okay, well, that's good to know. No, it's just that's right, yeah. All right, I'm right. just not verbal, so that's good. Yeah. So, you know, but I wasn't crazy about, I wouldn't have done some of the things with the covers. And so I think it's great. Now I do covers and I have total control. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you get to um, have total freedom and total freedom. higher royalties, which is better. Yeah. Um, there is a little more stress, I think, when you're doing it all yourself. But mm-hmm. there's also stress when you're working with a big company and you really don't have that much input and you really don't have that much control. So, Still working with an agent, or was that just for the trad deals? Well, I don't use him anymore, but he, we ended things on, we didn't really end things, but we did, things were very friendly, meaning he helped me actually get my rights back, which was a little bit of a challenge. It Mm -hmm. took a while, Um, and I basically had to just almost harass them. I think they just gave them to me to get rid of me. <laughs> shut you um, up? <laughs> just shut me up. I just sent letters. I sent emails. I just would not leave them alone. So, um, but he was involved with that process and, and he did want to pitch the books to a small publisher. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I have this plan. <laughs> I'm going indie. And he, he was like, great. You know, if you ever want to go back to trad, I'm here when you need me. No, that's and right. that was kind of, so if I did, have some idea that I felt was only really doable with a traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that would be. I, I could go back to him. Right. right. So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? I don't know. I mean, it's really, that's a hard to, that's a hard mm-hmm. one. <laughs> I can't think of any mistake mistake that ended up being great. Um, <laughs> you know, there are things that, that, you know, like, like getting a trad deal, which was really yeah. great. And then, Um, And then kind of the mistake that at the time, some people said, oh, you need to go ahead and get with a new publisher and and don't let let the setback knock you down. And and I think that was true, but I also think I needed that time. And I needed that time for the indie world to kind of exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about the opposite? Have you ever had something that you thought was just like super brilliant, great idea, and then it turned out to be kind of a flop? (laughs) We've all had them, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, a total flop. Well, I did do a love triangle in my <laughs> second and third cozies without knowing that readers despise them. <laughs> at least my cozy readers did not like that at all. So um, luckily, when I got the rights back, I did go back in and I removed the hot Scottish band leader that I thought would be such a favorite and, you know, kind of then made the hot cop the one because that was what the, the readers loved. Oh, nice. so I thought I was doing something fun and different and they did not agree with me. So, but again, I could go back in and I, I fixed those right up. <laughs> I was going to say, so did you, did, so you did go in and change some things when you got the, the books back, not just that. Oh yeah, that's good. The third book actually it took an extra year to get that back. So by the time I got it back, I already had nine books in the series. So I was up to book nine. Oh wow. So I couldn't, really release it as book three because too much had happened. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. couldn't back. So I rewrote most, most of it, gave it a pretty thorough rewrite. And then it was book 10. Oh, wow. So I was able to take those things out, kind of change enough. Um, 
I really, I wanted to actually change the killer, but I decided not to do that because I thought that would, that would be a little much for people who had read the third one already. Yeah. So what about your longtime fans? Did they recognize that book or did you get any comments on the rewritten book? That you know, it's rec- funny. They, they kind of like the rewritten version. I had people who did say, and I told them, I said, you know, this is the third book that's been rewritten. But most of them went back and, and read it anyway because it was slotted in at a different point and the mm-hmm. relationships with all the characters had developed yeah. and there were even new characters. And so I put those in. So it was different enough that they that they found it good the second time. And it had been about a decade for most people. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, but I think that's so important. I mean, you just weren't precious with that. I I talk about that a lot. You know, we just can't be precious with things. If we know that there's, you know, you knew your readers didn't, I mean, your readers didn't love that. You changed the triangle. And then when you took the book and you rewrote it, you know, I'm sure you maybe took out some things you really liked to put in new things. And, uh, but you did it because it was a good business decision and it was true to the, the series and the story. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, you know, the things that I've gotten reader feedback that they don't like or do like, and that I'll, I'll take that into consideration as I, as I write the next books. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I love something, I have a big folder, which I, <laughs> I call my merciless edits. Mm-hmm. And I just, and so in my mind, I'm not throwing it all away. Right. I'm just saving it for later. And I never go back to it, but I, that, that way I can rip out parts and tear the book apart or pull things out that I might have spent a lot of time on and normally would be attached to. Right. I just put them in that folder. That's great. Well, That's what I do too. It makes me feel less uh, sad when I have to cut yes. things because I'm like, I'll just save these over here. And I don't know that I've ever gone back and pulled no. anything out of that file, <laughs> but I no. haven't. But it's yeah. knowing it's there makes you feel better. Right. Yeah. Actually, I uh, the prologue to this book that I just put out was too long. It was really long. I think it was 5,500 words. It was a lot. And, um, so my editor, uh, she really advised me to cut it. So I did, but I kept the 5,500 word one. And actually I'm going to put that out in my newsletter this, uh, when it comes out next, just because it's been enough time now. And I'm just going to let people see what the rest of the story, basically, that happened. uh, Right. The prologue. Yeah. Yeah. I I love it. Yeah. I think it's just, because they, they like behind the scenes things, um, oh, for sure. I think. That's yeah, great idea. So when you, we're going to transition it a little bit into the specific questions we have for you. And so we've mm-hmm. talked about your transition from traditional to indie, but were there other, th- I mean, like, did you have to change your mindset? I mean, like what, what things did you really have to do to go from being a traditionally published author to a indie published author? Sure. Well, I definitely had to kind of get my, mind wrapped around a production schedule. So Mm. all of a sudden, the editor, the publishing company was not doing my editing, they weren't doing page proofs, none of that was being done. So I had to kind of figure out, okay, you know, back it out. If I want this book to release this day, I have to have it to the editor and the cover done and all of that. All that information, I think is, can be overwhelming if you don't schedule it in and realize what your lead time is for different elements. How are you maintaining your production schedule while virtually schooling your children, which I know you're doing because you told us before we got on. I mean, that's a new challenge right now for a lot of authors um, because, you know, the kids aren't school and those hours between eight and three or eight and four were the times that they got their writing in. 
Right. It, it's definitely an adjustment. I do get up very early. Mm-hmm. So I get in at least one writing sprint before anyone else is awake, mm-hmm. which is lovely. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that has helped. I'm not a late night writer. I know a lot of writer friends with kids who yeah, do. Yeah, I'm not either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm done. By the time it's around 830 at night, that is it. There's not a creative like drop left in my body. Mm-mm. So, um, but I do do mornings and then, um, and basically, you know, they're, I'm lucky because they're older, they are 13 and 15. So they can, to a certain extent, be independent. So they're each up mm-hmm. on laptops and doing that. So in a way, it's much easier than if I had a kindergartner and a, you know, six year old, seven year old, that would be trickier. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just about scheduling that time around when you can do things, getting smaller chunks in, Mm-hmm. Sometimes I may not get a solid hour and a half in, maybe I'll get 45 minutes, maybe I'll get less mm-hmm. and just being more flexible. Sometimes I come back and it takes me all day to write 5,000 words. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm done by noon, but if I, if I don't get them done at the beginning, I just keep <laughs> coming back and keep, you know, 200 at a time, 300 yeah. at a time until yeah. I get them in. Right. I'm, I'm not, or haven't been a very good opportunistic writer like if I have 30 minutes I don't tend to just sit down and write because you know the the stars have to be aligned the moon has to be in the right phase I have to be wearing the right thing you know to sit down and write it's it felt like in the past but I've been at my daughter's this week and she has um, four children and she's pregnant and so I have had to grab little bits of time, like when the kids nap or when they have, you know, my older grandchild is uh, doing school. So when she's doing that, but I've done the same thing, like 500 words here, a thousand words there. And then I've, I've hit my goal. And I think that's what's, I think, important. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I'm just now realizing that just grabbing those little nuggets of time to write is important if you can do it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I've I've always worked when I've kind of been writing as well. Mm -hmm. And so when my children were born, my I think I wrote the second book with my daughter on a front carrier sleeping and my arms Mm -hmm. kind of curled around (laughs) at the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Because you know when she would fall asleep, that's when I would write. And Mm so I would joke that my her morning nap lasted as long as a chapter because whenever she started crying, the chapter so I learned to write a certain amount of words in, in her nap time. Yeah. So I think as writers, we, we have to adjust um, as hard as it is since we're creatives. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, being indie does give us that, flexi- me, that flexibility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can set our own schedule. We can, you know, and during the pandemic, a lot of people have slowed down their publication schedule mm-hmm. or have been able to push back releases. And I think it's important um, also to give ourselves a little bit of grace. Yes. It's sometimes harder to be creative. Yeah. When the yeah. world is seems to be imploding, I think that we have to realize that we can't continue doing exactly like we were before all this happened. But it is important to create. For me, I have to create some sort of routine, even mm-hmm. out of the craziness that's going on, for me to be able to get some things done. So, right. I think that's the only way to deal with it for me. Right. So, so going back to um, getting your books back from the traditional publisher, is there anything that you wish you'd known about that? Any wisdom you could pass on to other people who might be interested in trying that? Well, I, you know, I went online and I think I got some, I think it was Ally, the Alliance for Independent mm-hmm. Authors. I think mm-hmm. I found information on their website when I was looking. And I, um, I definitely learned just to be persistent, just keep at it. 
Um, I was definitely kind of given a lot of stumbling blocks to get them um, because the first two books they were fine with. They said, okay, it had been long enough. Um, and I had looked at my contracts very diligently and knew that they were technically out of print. And even though they were eBooks, I, I kind of purposely let them go really, really fallow. Like I just wasn't <laughs> pushing anything to them on purpose because I knew I wanted to do this. But the third book, they said, well, we still have copies in the warehouse. And so I said, how many? I'll buy them. <laughs> I bought them. <laughs> so I bought all the copies. And then I said, okay, I bought all the copies. And they said, well, now it has to be a year of sales wow, of a certain gosh. amount of eBooks. And I said, okay. So then I just hid that book. That book just disappeared from everything, no website and nothing. Mm-hmm. And I did have readers contact me and say, oh, I see that this book is you know, the third, and I said, no, 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 don't, don't buy that. No, no, wait, I'll give it, I'll give it to you. <laughs> once, it comes, <laughs> once I rewrite it, just wait. Um, so I told everyone, do not buy that book because at the time I was re-releasing. So I had a book four or five, six, seven, mm-hmm. and they would see this third traditionally published paperback um, or ebook and they would kind of ask about it. So, and then I, I, exactly a year to the date, I FedExed them a letter saying the sales are below. <laughs> I would like my rights per our conversation. And they, you know, a couple more hoops, but finally, I think just were just glad to be rid of me. Um, So it was just persistence. Yeah, but it is so tricky because, you know, if you get a deal and you get three books or two books Mm -hmm. or whatever, but you want to write more books in that series, if they own the first two or three, it's really tough to market the third, fourth, and fifth, or fifth, sixth, and seventh, if they own the first three. So. Right. I wouldn't have been able to, I don't know if I would have kept going in the series if I hadn't been able to get the first three back, mm-hmm. because I think that's wise. Yeah. Right. Because the first, I have the first in series free, and that pushes all the sales. If I hadn't been able to market that first book, having a fourth, fifth, and sixth just wouldn't have made any sense. Right. So did you get the first two back before you continued the series, or did you? I did. Okay, I did. So yeah, that makes I got those sense. first two back, kind of did a re-edit on them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things I wanted to tweak. You know, it had been a while. And also, yeah. I had flip phones. And yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know. It's the technology. Yeah. So I had to change a few things like that and make them a little less dated. So Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you've recently added a completely different genre. Um, how do you juggle writing two different genre, genres? So that's the uh, sci-fi romance, right? Sci-fi romance, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have a different marketing tactics for that genre as well? I do. And, um, you know, I do like going, I, I like writing different things. So mm-hmm. I found that um, writing the sci-fi romance is just a different, such a different structure, such a different type of book. Mm-hmm. And after writing, I just put out the 16th cozy mystery. So after writing at least a dozen cozies, I was getting a little antsy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, I've never written a sex scene. <laughs> My cozies are <laughs> super, super clean. They're like, no, not a single curse word, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to do something really different just to see if I can. So I, you know, got the book Romancing the Beat, learned how to, you know, get those romance beats, which are entirely different from mystery mm-hmm. and um, discovered this genre of sci-fi romance, which I stumbled into and was beyond fascinated. It does not <laughs> exist in bookstores or any traditional. It's just it's just not there mm-hmm. yet. Their authors do very, very well mm-hmm. with this like niche genre, um, although it's grown a little bit. It's definitely not a niche anymore, but I was just fascinated. And I started reading these books and I was like, this is amazing. It's alien romance. Mm-hmm. I, I, was just, I was just, I thought it was amazing. I was like, this is so different. So I was like, I wonder if I could write one. 
And it was really more of like an internal challenge to myself right. Right. just because I had so much fun with them. And so I kind of thought, well, what if there is a, an alien space station? The entire purpose was to plan weddings for aliens and humans because you know, <laughs> I have this wedding background. So I decided to pull what I knew into that world. And so, and it, it took off. It did really well. I did, I did the rapid release. Yeah. An entirely different strategy because I wanted to do a KU strategy. Right. And my cozies were wide. And I did the David Gochran's kind of his KU strategy, rapid mm-hmm. release, put the first one at 99 cents. Mm-hmm. And then when the third one came out, I did a big sale on the first two. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of juiced them enough to really stick really well. That's great. And so you put three out at once? I put one out, then three weeks later, I put the second, and then about a month later, I put the third. Okay. All right. um, then I continued. So it's been about every month right? since then. So that was last July. Right. Well, I do read sci-fi romance. I, I don't know if I've read yours, but um, they're a little bit like crack cocaine. I mean, yes. it, they really are. Like, I'm like, what is this crack that I'm reading? Because it is just, they're just addictive. And so. it's like that to write them, I think. <laughs> like, I feel like it's like, it just, it goes faster. It's, you know, there I, I are no rules. I mean, you can do anything in space. So <laughs> yes, I'm not constrained by anything. I make up things all the time. And yeah. it's just so fun. And such That's a contrast from yeah contemporary cozies. So I saw in your other bio that you are a big Star Trek fan. There's not much sci-fi going on in cozies. So did you enjoy blending? It sounds like you blended in some of elements that are also in your cozies, but that this one is very different. Yes. And I did bring some elements in without even thinking about it. Meaning my cozies are very much the cast of characters. So it's Annabelle and then her best friend who's a caterer and then the hairdresser. So it's a whole crazy bunch of wedding people. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with the sci-fi romance kind of doing the same thing. I actually have an alien wedding planner who I love. <laughs> He's amazing. And so I have this whole cast that I created, which at the time I didn't realize I was doing it, but it was very similar, meaning a very, very strongly character driven at, but with all the cool tech stuff that I love from Star Trek and Star Wars. And my first series is a little more Star Trekky in the sense of it's kind of sleek and spacey and techy. And then the second series I put out is more like barbarians, a uh, sand planet type of thing. And it's very, very different feel, but really fun. Like just anything goes. So it, it's just a very different feel. So it's been great because I switched back between the two of them. Before I get tired of writing sex scenes too much, <laughs> I can go back to the cozies, which are super clean. And then I get a little like, oh, I'd really like to write some action. Then I go back to the sci-fi romance. So the sci-fi romance are in KU, but your other books are wide? Your, the your other books were books. wide. I recently took the cozies into KU only because it's a little tricky to be pushing the wide really hard mm-hmm. and kind of writing and pushing out as much as I I am. Mm-hmm. So, and because the KU strategy worked so well for the sci-fi romance, I, I agonized about it actually a lot because I, they have been wide for three years now, mm-hmm. but I did bring them into KU because there are That's so great. many now, movies in KU. But is the first still free or no? The first is still free. Oh, really? Um, and that works. That's great. And, well, the, the, my reasoning was I kind of, to kind of launch them into KU, I got a book bub on the first one. Ah. Uh, so and those were in 
are in KUs. So that gave it a big push. Um, but what I do now is if I release, when I release a new cozy, mm-hmm. I put it wide for a week and have it on my website direct. Mm-hmm. So people can get it that way just for a few days to a week. And then it goes into KU. Oh, that's good. That's really smart. Yeah. I'm trying to kind of keep my Nook readers and my Kobo readers, and my Apple readers still happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but really take advantage of that large KU cozy audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you found people willing to go to your website and buy it direct? It has been. Um, it's been, and that's been pretty seamless. It's using the pay hip and book funnel mm-hmm. kind yeah. of combination. That's been really good. That is awesome. Well, we were talking the other day and you also mentioned you're doing German translations. So tell us about that. that. Is there anything you wish you had known about that before you got started? It's a very involved process. That's, (laughs) I mean, and I don't really, I do know some other romance writers who have done it and I actually was able to get some tips from them because I'm doing the sci-fi romance into the German. And Mm -hmm. um, so they gave me some, some tips, but it is really uh, you're managing going between the the translator and the proofreader and then from the proofreader back to the translator. And you're, you're kind of the in-between without knowing what language <laughs> it's all <laughs> happening in. So there's a lot of trust involved. And so I did, you know, get recommendations before I hired translators and, and was able to make sure that they were good. Right. But it's a, it's a lot of research. That was one thing I've learned. I think you're doing it as well. It's just a lot of yeah. research. Yeah, I found someone who says she will do the translation and then she will handle the coordination of the proofread and all that. So at least that's one less thing that I have to like keep an eye on. (laughs) So I've heard about, I've heard some that do that, Um, but the ones I got were either not willing or, or Mm -hmm. it was just easier for me to to get someone else. So, yeah. Um, And I do have two different ones, two translators working on both of the series at the same time. Wow. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I kind of have these two teams going, but my cover designer is actually German and she's oh. in Germany. So that's been very seamless. So when I send her all the cover changes in German, she has no problem. So that's been the one little easy thing. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, yeah. um, will you release those into KU as well? I think I will. Yeah. I think that will be a, a good move for that. And It'll be interesting doing Facebook ads in German. <laughs> um, because one thing with the translation, you have to realize you have to get all of your, you know, your blurb and you have to get everything mm-hmm. translated. And if you're whatever mm-hmm. you want to do for Facebook ads or your, you know, little text for your, you know, your keywords, all of that. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things I keep thinking like, oh, I need to get that translated too. Oh, I need to get that translated. All the back matter. <laughs> so, oh my, oh my goodness. That's a huge project. Yeah. It's a big project. But it's, it's exciting. So you've got your different series you're writing and then you're doing the translations. So do you have a set like pattern that you're like, you write one book in this series and one book in this series, or do you just kind of, how do you choose which one you're going to write in? Or do you have a specific schedule? I do have a schedule and I, I definitely, when I did the the sci-fi romance and I launched that, I did kind of scale a little bit back on my number of cozy releases only because I, I couldn't put, you know, to launch a new pen name took a lot more time and effort than I'd remembered. <laughs> it was, I, I don't think I would do that again. I think even though I really love the idea of working in different genres and I might want to do a different genre again, I would have to stick it in one of the pen names because doing the new website, doing all the newsletters, that, that was a lot. And I'd forgotten 
the setup involved in that. So that is the one thing, uh, you know, if you're going to do all of those things for two pen names, it's a lot of work. It really, really is. So I do have a schedule, but I, and now I'm amping up. So I'm doing more of an alternating. Whereas I did put out the first year, I, I put out 16 sci-fi romance. So it was pretty intense how much I was doing for that. So wow. I only put out two, maybe two cozies that year. Mm-hmm. So it definitely scaled it back. But then, it, you know, it was just, I kind of was going where both creativity and the money. Which, I mean, I look at it as very much a business exactly. and it's diversifying and it's kind of, you know, I'm covering a lot of bases by doing, and I do audio and the German. So in, in that way, even though I'm in KU, it gives me a little bit of a kind of a balance. Right, right. And many streams of income. How long are your sci-fi romances? They're about 50,000 to 60,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your cozies? They're a little bit long, about 60,000. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do novellas. I like to do cozy novellas. So I'll do a holiday novella. I'll do, and usually those don't have dead bodies. And oh. my readers actually really enjoy it. Like they'll oh. comment like, oh, it was fun to see a mystery that wasn't a dead body. Yeah. So yeah. I have about maybe five or six novellas in this. Oh, series. that's great. Yeah. Um, and they're just kind of lighter and, you know, I mean, mine are already lighter. They're a little less intense. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that um, writing the romances, do they go faster for you? Because it sounds like you were able to put out quite a few right in the beginning. They do go faster, just in the sense that I don't have to come up with a very intricate way to kill someone. Yeah, my, I do think they have more dead bodies than most romances. <laughs> because, there's, because there's sci-fi, there's space battles and different things. So right. I do end up, and I realized, I was like, gosh, I kill people more than <laughs> I think that's just a tendency. That's just a the, that's a mystery writer in me. It's your cozy showing through. <laughs> and the the funny thing is also the cozies have gotten more. So I've realized that both have helped each other in the sense that my plotting that I do, like I do a lot of twists in the romance. Like I'll do sometimes like twists at the end or things that are very much from the mystery world. And yeah. then I've added more emotional depth in that I think is coming from the romance world into the cozies. Oh, that's great. Anyway, it's, they've really helped each other. Mm -hmm. The books have improved Um, because there is, I don't want to say there's crossover in sci-fi romance and cozies, but there is the romance cozy crossovers. So a lot of my cozy readers also do read romance. Mm -hmm. And so as I've kind of, I think, deepened the romantic relationship in the cozies, they've been much happier. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now do you, do your, do your cozy readers know about your sci-fi romances? They do not. There might be five people that would cross over. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would be relatively small. Yeah. Um, although, you know, audiences always surprise you. I have a really large number of my sci-fi romance of, of older ladies mm-hmm. uh, that I didn't think would really, you know, one, uh, one reader told me that she had to have her teenage granddaughter help her download something of my, you know, my reader magnet. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, this, you know, this teenage girl is seeing this man chest cover. And <laughs> I was like, how old? How old is a teenage? I know. Well, that, I don't know if I've told this out here, but one time I got uh, an email from a uh, reader and she's like, I'm 16 and I love your books and I want to write, but I've read all your books. And there was a part of me that's like, oh, that's so great. But the bigger part of me was like, Honey, does your mother know? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. You should put the book down for right now. <laughs> oh. Quick question going back to 
the like the how the books have changed as you're writing both series, both both genres. So you said you've deepened the relationships in the cozies. So right. talk about how you've propelled that series. How many books? Sixteen now. You said 16, right. Wow. Yeah. So that's a long series. So how have you done that? Because cozies, you know, they have the limited cast. A thing that most some writers struggle with is like, okay, I've written three or four books about these people. How do I keep this going? Right. Well, I did end up adding in a few more to the cast. So the first three books had a kind of a smaller cast, and then I ended up adding a couple more. And so the cast has grown a little bit. Um, It's helped that I've taken them different places. So I have a book in Ireland. I have a book, um, where else do I have them? Um, I have a book where they go to Bali. So moving them around places Mm -hmm. has helped kind of keep that interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing that the readers really seem to like is the development of the characters and the relationships because they do develop over time. You know, it starts out with the wedding planner and her friends and those are really her, you know, her only family type of thing. And then, then there's the romantic relationship. Well, that kind of creates some tension because the best friend, you know, who's been kind of the center is no longer the center. So there's, so there's tension as it goes through navigating the changes that come when you add relationships. So, and then this last book is her wedding to this hot cop and, um, People were just dying for it. <laughs> it been, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's been a slow burn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and especially compared to the sci-fi romance where it's one, you know, only takes one book, but, yeah. you know, 16 books and people are just like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. They're pretty excited. But then some um, also have written me and said, we really like the way you develop the characters you know, very over the period of time. And, you know, the relationship with the, is kind of like, will they or won't they for a couple of books? And so mm-hmm. it, it does kind of evolve almost naturally, like it would when they're, when they're developments in characters and relationships and the people, they grow, they have to change. So, and it, it is fun. So, and the characters are really based on a lot of people I knew in the wedding industry. Mm-hmm. So that's also been fun. Um, right, what you know. Yeah. <laughs> I always say yeah. that the, the things that are the most wild are not the ones I make up. Like yeah. the craziest stories, the, those are all true. Those are the so things. you have to tell us one crazy story now yeah. about wedding planning. What's oh, the craziest, gosh. one of the craziest things that you've actually seen in real life? Oh, craziest. It is so hard to pick one. I mean, we, I've seen just a bunch. I mean, I used to, I had to coordinate an elephant oh. um, for a wedding in the middle of Washington, D.C. at five o'clock on Friday. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. Which downtown Constitution Avenue. Yeah. Which was that was, you know, challenging. Um and I ended up putting that in a book because <laughs> Yeah. Nobody believed it. Nobody believed it. Right, right. Um and then, you know, and and other livestock, you know, and the rules on livestock and things like that that you have to deal with or you know, so the so I do put real details into the books uh-huh. that you might not know about, you know, different rules that, that weddings have and you know, I've had Clients want to have miniature ponies wandering through cocktail hour. You know, you have to, have to talk them out of that because miniature ponies are very vicious and they bite and they nip and you do not want them, even if they're draped in flowers. As- wandering willy-nilly through the crowd. Yeah. Right, you no, don't want that. And so- no matter how good it would look on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> there. Some things you just have to talk people out of. We had a bride who wanted us to glue rose petals down in the grass 
she was convinced they were going to blow away. She wanted a rose petal aisle. So she wanted us to glue, glue them. <laughs> there, is, there is no such thing as a grass adhesive. <laughs> we explained this. She said, well, can you pin them? I was like, well, who, who's going to walk on a bunch of straight pins down an entire aisle? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so sometimes you're dealing with the craziest things are just dealing with people's lack of grip on reality for yeah. a short amount of time. And, and how people kind of obsess on one thing, you know. Yes. They've laying in bed at night, they've, th- they've had this fear that all the rose petals would blow away. So that's the one thing they obsess on. <laughs> right, right. It's, the job is really also just kind of almost being a counselor to people sometimes yeah. Yeah. because it's just, you know, you're really, and it is an interesting position because you're so involved in a person's life for a year and then you're gone. So, um, so you really get, you delve deep into these people's families, you know, who the drunk uncle is, you know, the secrets, you know, everything. (laughs) And then, then you're out. Oh, that's so funny. Well, um, as we end up, tell our listeners the one thing you think you've done to set yourself up for success. I would have to say that I've treated the writing business like a business. So I treat it like I did my wedding planning business and I, you know, I have a incorporated so it's a, um, I have an S corp and that is a publishing company and I do everything through that. So even my, all my copyrights are held through the company. I do copyrights, you know, from through the copyright, copyright on my work, which I think sometimes indies don't do as much. So mm-hmm. I try to, to really set it up like a business and run it as if I was a publisher mm-hmm. and try to also diversify. So I'm, you know, I do the audiobooks. I'm doing German. I try to get as much, out of each piece of intellectual property as I can. Um, so, because it does take, you know, a little while to write these things. So, yeah. so I want them to work for me. And I, you know, building that backlist and having that backlist work, right. I think is something that really pays off. Right. And I think just one thing um, that kind of has struck me is that these, the first three books had a life. Yes. More than 10 years ago. But now they have a new life with brothers and sisters. And so I think that's so important and encouraging to um, listeners because we think, so, I think sometimes we, we're pretty short sighted. I know I can be sometimes, but these books are ours forever if you get your rights back, you know, and if you're in you have them forever and you can do multiple things with them. So I think that's really encouraging. Yes. And I think you're right. I think also kind of knowing that that it's so important to keep that intellectual property mm-hmm. and be careful what you sign yes. <laughs> and don't be lured by the, the offer that sounds too good to be true um, because you really can probably do more with your own intellectual property that anyone will do for you because you care about it more. Mm-hmm. These are your babies and no yep. one's going to really take care of them like you will. Nope. Yeah. That's and one of my mottos. That's yeah. another thing. It's never too late to 10 years later to come back and, re-release a series and it's brand new for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of um, readers out there that haven't seen yeah. what we write. So right. I have a friend that just got her rights back to two books and she actually went in and rewrote some parts and made it so that it uh, flowed in with another series that she had put out. Um, in, she had put it out as an indie author. And so those are two new books in that series that she really didn't have to do just a whole lot on. She just had to change a few things. So. That's really smart. Yeah. 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 I thought it was too. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's been great having you. This has just been Thank so you. good. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and your books? 
Sure. You can go to lauradurham.com. All right. All right. And we'll have all the links and everything in the show notes at Wish I'd Known Then for Writers. Yep. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.